Welcome to Quantum of Podcast, Episode 10, brought to you by your host, Frank Wesley, presenting you with stories, insights, and ideas from the industry that helps to put businesses back on track. Quantum is a niche business advisory practice that specializes in advising a wide range of clients. With 13 offices, we are one of the fastest growing firms in the UK advising in this sector. In this episode, Frank is joined by Andrew Walker, a partner in Irwin Mitchell, a national firm of lawyers with 15 offices. Andrew is the National Head of Restructuring and Insolvency, having been in that role for five years, and he splits his time between London and Gatwick offices. We're here today to talk about a hot topic close to the daily routine of many insolvency professionals over the last couple of years, the energy supply sector, and more specifically, that aspect of the industry which has been a subject of much interest over the last 18 months or so from the professional restructuring community. Since the beginning of 2018, there have been 17 failures of energy companies, which has been a substantial increase on previous years. So what is behind this dramatic increase in a sector that historically has not provided many work opportunities for the restructuring community? So Andrew, Tell me a little bit about your background and experience and possibly one or two interesting projects that you're working on at the moment. Hi Frank, um, so I've been working in uh, Owen Mitchell's National Restructuring and Solvency Practice now for over 28 years. Um, I was based for a very, very long time in Yorkshire, which may be betrayed by my accent a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and recently re- relocated south. Um, so I've worked through two recessions um, and various bubbles bursting. One might even say that at the moment there's a bit of an energy gold rush, <laughs> and that's a, that's a bubble that's currently bursting. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting things going on at the moment seem to be around the regulated sector, so I've been quite heavily involved in London and Capital Finance, which is a, uh, something that uh, a lot of people have seen in the newspapers recently. That could take us off in a very different direction for a long period of time. So, <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Indeed. And uh, the other areas where we've been very heavily involved uh, um, invest at the moment is in, still in relation to retail. Um, we've all heard about what's going on on the high street, but what seems to be flying under the covers a little bit um, is there's actually a lot of online retail restructuring and insolvencies going on at the moment. They tend not to be very well publicised because people don't like to talk about them, and I'm sure they wouldn't talk about the high street retailers unless it was put so obvious um, that it was impossible not to talk about them. Indeed, indeed. And um, browsing through yesterday's Sunday Times business section, um, there were another three or four mentioned as being in distress, and that could form um, a topic for uh, a further podcast in these series, because I don't see that turning around any time soon. Um, But generally speaking, how are you finding the marketplace at the moment in terms of the areas that that you specialise in? And businesses generally in terms of other client uh, service lines that Irwin Mitchell are, are busy with? We're extremely busy at the moment um, dealing with restructuring and solvency scenarios. Um, at the end of our Q3, our work volumes are up 40% on the previous year. Um, looking at the national t- statistics, um, underlying company insolvencies in 2019 increased to their highest annual level since 2013 and company voluntary liquidations reached their highest annual level since 2009 uh, which gives a good indication of where the market is at the moment so it's not simply um, the death of the high street 
Um, it's quite sector agnostic in the sense of we seem to be busy in all areas. Construction is now particularly busy um, and we think that's going to continue certainly through the winter um, and we'll see what that looks like in, in summer. But we also think that Brexit's still having a significant effect. Yeah, well, uh, across the board, it seems as though um, the firm is, is very busy in relation to restructuring and insolvency. And certainly, I think that 2020 is going to be a very busy year for uh, our side of things. And it looks as though, from your perspective, uh, on the legal side, that's going to be the case as well. And we don't see uh, a let-up coming up soon. So if we just move on to uh, the topic in question, the energy supply sector and the uh, major increase in the number of insolvencies that we've seen, what, what do you think might have been the main factors to, to cause that glut of insolvencies in the sector? I think just to put in some context and put some numbers against that, um, in the last two years, over one million energy customers have been switched by off-chip. Um, so it's a significant activity, it's having significant impact on consumers as well as on businesses. Um, as, I, as I mentioned at the top, um, one might describe it as a bit of a gold rush. Um, I think part of that has actually been stimulated by the government itself, um, getting people clued up on the idea of switching. Um, that has then been driven by the various online supermarkets and price comparator sites. Uh, so the ease of switching compared to the ease of being able to see those comparisons have allowed consumers to switch and have generated um, businesses behind the scenes. Um, I think startup costs are relatively low, the infrastructure itself behind these suppliers is relatively low, so it's, it's not a case of um, them actually supplying the gas and electricity necessarily, they're buying it from the wholesale markets. So again, they don't have those infrastructure costs that perhaps the traditional suppliers might have had. Um, and they, there's, a, there's still a wall of private equity out there that's prepared to invest in these sorts of startups. Right, so there's um, a lot more dynamism in the sector, but um, that sounds as though that the regulation hasn't quite got it right um, because the uh, increase uh, in the number of insolvencies uh, in, for the suppliers, but also the, the inconvenience and the disruption for consumers as well. So I know that you've had practical experience of dealing with um, an insolvent energy supplier. Um, in, in that scenario where the supplier gets into fin uh, severe financial distress, what, what options are there generally available for the supplier to consider? Um, very, very limited indeed. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Part of, the, part of the problem that's arisen here, which Ofgem are now trying to address, is that um, the the um, barriers to entry were, too, were, were not high enough. There wasn't enough oversight in terms of the ability financially of these um, suppliers to trade through the first year or two. Um, those principles are now changing. So, for instance, the suppliers have to be able to demonstrate that they can um, um, trade for the first two years. Uh, but it is a difficult one. You mentioned the word severely distressed. Um, of course, the first thing we would always try and do is see whether there's a solvent rescue via, um, by, by a share purchase or further investment. Um, but if once the supplier gets into a serious distress scenario, there is actually um, very few options left available. Just picking up on one point, um, and, and I don't know whether you um, uh, 
been involved in the detail, uh, but but you said that um, a new entrant has to demonstrate that they can trade, presumably profitably, for two years. Yeah. What what sort of evidence do they have to provide to Ofgem? I guess that um, they're able to do that. They have to provide um, evidence that they've got effective risk management, um, that they're adequately prepared and resourced for growth, and they bear an appropriate share of the risk. Um, they have to maintain the capacity and capability to deliver a quality service to customers and foster an open and constructive dialogue with Ofgem. Mm -hmm. um, there's then an, an obligation on Ofgem to maintain proportionate oversight. Um, so it's not simply well, now you've come through the uh, now you've come through the entry process. Um, it's going to be very light touch. So I think we're going to see more interactive with Ofgem and exercising positive oversight in relation to the suppliers. So the fit and proper test, so to speak, is is much more rigorous now than perhaps it was when um, deregulation took place um, a few years ago. Having seen the, the possible consequences. So when, when a supplier does get into financial difficulty, what, what, what does Ofgem do? What's their role um, in that scenario? So certainly in, in, in terms of times past, Ofgem probably wouldn't be aware. Um, it would normally be the supplier that would have to go and notify Ofgem, uh, rather than Ofgem being aware that they were facing financial difficulties. Um, so there needs to be a dialogue with Ofgem in, in, very early on in the process. Um, Ofgem do have the power to appoint effectively special administrators over the supplier and they will do that if they feel either the supplier is not cooperating and being frank and transparent with them or the supplier does not have an adequate plan which would normally be created by its advisors such as Erwin Mitchell or, uh, or, its, or its insolvency practitioner mm. advisors. So it's important for the supplier to be to be using reputable professionals who mm -hmm. understand this market mm -hmm. in order to liaise and engage properly with Ofgem. And um, would you say that Ofgem have got the necessarily level of understanding and experience to be able to move quickly when these sorts of problems arise? In dealing with other regulators, uh, I found that um, handling the consequences of a distressed registered, registered entity is, is much higher up their scale of priorities. Um, I wondered, um, in terms of Ofgem, what, what your sort of view is around their capabilities. Um, certainly they, um, they appear to understand the liquidation process. It was, it, it was, it was a little bit learning on the job for them um, so far as a brilliant entity were concerned mm. because mm. there'd never been an administration mm. of a um, consumer supply company before. And so their first question was, why are you doing an administration rather than liquidation? We so it wasn't what is an administration? <laughs> no, <laughs> not no, quite, okay. not yeah. quite. Um, but there had to be quite a lot of explanation of how the administration proceeding under the Insolvency Act mm. interacted with the Energy Act. Mm. because the Energy Act does mm. modify the usual administration procedure. Okay, so where there has been dialogue between um, Ofgem and a supplier and uh, their professional uh, advisors, I assume that once Ofgem recognises the need for the protection of a, a formal insolvency process, things could move quite quickly? Not as quickly as we'd hoped. Okay. Um, there's a... That's interesting. 
there's a there's part of the procedure that we we didn't fully understand, mm. um, but off off gen require. Mm. So in order for the supply of last resort provisions to be engaged, mm. um, the license has to be revoked by off gen. Mm. Mm. But the circumstances surrounding the revocation of the license are that off gen have to be satisfied that the company is insolvent, the supplier is insolvent. Mm -hmm. Now, one might, in normal circumstances, might say, in our particular case, we filed a notice of appointment, um, which has a statute declaration mm -hmm. that says the, the, the supplier is insolvent. Mm -hmm. One might imagine that would be sufficient for Ofgem's purposes, mm -hmm. but it isn't. Right, right. Um, Ofgem um, have been advised that they have to go to court themselves and obtain a statutory declaration of insolvency mm -hmm. before they can terminate the license. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that of itself can slow down the process. Okay. So overall, you might be looking at a, a period of several weeks before it gets to a stage where an administrator could be appointed, possibly? Not quite that long. Okay. Um, because, to be fair to Ofgem, when they move, they do move quite quickly. Mm. There is an element of um, there needs to be a bit of time, mm. because once they're alerted to the situation... Again, in order to facilitate the supply of last resort provisions, they need the data from the supplier so that that customer data can then be transferred over to the new suppliers. Right. So they want to right. gather as much information as they can very quickly in those mm. early stages. Just to explain that a little more um, for my benefit and, and, and the audience, what, what is a supplier of last resort? So when, when the supplier is unable to fulfil the supply to its existing customers. Um, one of Ofgem's um, prime directives is to protect the consumers. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. there would be a risk without the supply of last resort provisions that the customers would effectively be cut off mm -hmm. and they would, wouldn't continue to receive the supply. Yeah. Yeah. So once the, um, once, the, once the insolvency declaration has been made and the license revoked, Ofgem effectively transfer all of the customers to existing suppliers, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that could be that could be the larger um, um, power suppliers, or it could be some of the smaller ones. Right, right, okay. And then, in terms of achieving a successful sale of the business, um, again, often presumably want to see that uh, transacted and completed quite quickly. Yes, I mean, or and how I mean, does that d differ for this sector? I think that I think the, diffi the difficulty is in this sector is that any purchase is going to, in order for that to happen quickly, any purchase is going to have to hold the license. Mm. Mm. Um, the other the other problem with it, from a purchase point of view, is you're not necessarily going to keep any of those customers. So once it becomes mm. um, public knowledge that the supplier has gone through some sort of insolvency process, mm. Mm. Um, I think there's a risk that customers would then transfer. So I think it's very, very difficult mm. um, for, a, for a purchase to take place. And certainly you couldn't have a scenario that you might have in other um, insolvencies where there's going to be some sort of new company set up and a transfer over. That's something that often simply won't bear because the purchaser won't have a necessary license and they won't be able to get them in time. So, so, so the purchaser, it sounds as though they're taking on um, a degree of risk. It's a bit speculative if they are looking to buy um, the business of a distressed energy supplier then they don't know what the attrition rate is going to be uh, in terms of consumers um, and, and, and that sort of neatly brings us on to 
what's the position of a consumer then in this scenario? How does the, the backdrop that you've just very clearly described then um, affect the position of the consumer? What, what's the uh, chap in the street likely to see in terms of his energy supply? Um, he, he'll, he won't see much in terms of the supply and that being interrupted, but what the consumer has to look out for is the tariff. Right. Um, so, for instance, in, in the case of Brilliant Energy, um, 17,000 of its customers moved to SSE, mm-hmm. but were then transferred onto the standard variable tariff. And, 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 and that's quite a common scenario. So the consumer needs to be clear about what tariff they're transferring on. Mm-hmm. Because if they're going onto the standard um, variable tariff, that's probably the most expensive tariff they could be on. Mm, mm, so mm. If, if the customer's not careful, they're going to be paying a, a lot more for their energy. Mm, um, mm. So the switched-on um, customers are going to be looking to move either to another supplier or at least change the tariff with the supplier of last resort they've been moved on to. Yeah, that's interesting. So the message <clears throat> for the consumer is really check check the tariff, make sure that you're not paying anything more than you need to and that you're paying at the best rate suitable for your requirements. Uh, I think that's covered the topic in good detail. It's very useful and very interesting and uh, we could probably carry on the conversation um, purely around energy supply for, for uh, some time. But... Um, I think that's covered all the main areas that I wanted to to look at and hopefully you found it useful, Andrew. Thanks very much for allowing me to um, occupy your meeting room in your lovely London offices. Um, If any listener is keen to follow up any of these points that we've discussed or uh, alternatively has a a turnaround or insolvency-related issue that they would like to talk to you about, how can they make contact with you? Um, thank you, Frank. Probably the best way to contact me is by emailing me directly on andrew.walker at erwinmitchell.com um, or that free to visit the website where my details, um, email details and telephone details are there, which is www.erwinmitchell.com. Excellent. And, and is there a phone number or, or email's best because you're out and about much of the time? Email's best, but yeah. they could always yeah. try my, my telephone number, <laughs> which is 0370-900-2179. Excellent. Thanks very much, Andrew. Much appreciate that. And as I say, once again, thanks for inviting me to your central London offices. And it was a, a pleasure having this conversation with you. So I'll sign off now until the next Quantum of Podcast. Um, I hope that you enjoyed the show. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.